welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Welcome back to the Diverse Tech Founders podcast. I'm Abraham J. Williamson, and we have Johnny and Alexa Turnage here to talk to us about Evenscore, which... For those who have been following us, is our third Polititech company, but we're going to get into that more. But let's start with a bit more background because you all, I believe, are the first husband and wife duo that we've had in the studio at one time. So I'm going to ask this question of both of you. Uh, talk to us about childhood. You, I know both of you have interesting kind of childhood backgrounds, but walk us through who you were back then and if childhood you would be friends with you today? And I guess would childhood you be friends with each other? That's a really, really good question. Just to really think through, because as a child, um, I was kind of sharing with you all before we started that I did grow up watching two people build a business and watching the positives, the pros and the cons of that and watching how you have to be really unique when you navigate that. So as a child, I was definitely in some ways really shy and just really trying to figure things out and more so watching and learning more so than doing a lot of talking. So if I was as a child, that's such a good question. Would I be friends with me today? I really do believe that I would be. I've definitely made a lot of changes and I think I would definitely be friends with Johnny. Johnny is a really outgoing and positive spirit person. So I think I would be really eager to learn about what he was doing and his personality, I think would really kind of catch me off guard at first. But I really do think we would be friends if I was younger and looking back at today. What do you think? Yeah, so I'd echo that. I do think we would be friends. I'll also say, though, I might be more talkative now. I was a very, very shy kid. Also like Alexa, always watching and learning from people. Usually like the youngest person around all the time. So I had to sit and watch and pick the right time to talk. Okay, that's good. And we're going to get into this more when we talk about even score because both of you all had a childhood, if you will, that was a precursor to what you're doing now. But describe for us kind of your earliest experiences with technology. And like I said, we'll get into this when we get into even score. But you all are coming from, you know, community organizing, mm -hmm. like you said, businesses. But yeah. that doesn't mean that technology was a foregone conclusion. So how did that work? So I'll also say I grew up around some really nerdy family members that kept me interested between video games, computers. Um, my favorite uncle, he got into the computer thing really early, playing games, looking at things, showing me stuff. And even though I couldn't always do what he was doing, I remember my seventh birthday, mom throws this big party and all I wanted to do was sit in the room and play on Nick's computer. I was like, I'm trying to figure out how do I work this? How do I do this? And this is early on when like the little paint app pop-up that was on like the home computers, I'm like, that, making a green screen on that was entertaining and could keep me for hours. Now that I think about it, growing up in technology, uh, my father was an engineer at Chrysler for about over 20 years before he started our family real estate office in my brother is in aeronautical engineering now. So I've always kind of been around tech. And as I kind of just think about it, it never really was at the forefront of my mind. But now, as we've been building even score, I've kind of opened my mind to a new way of life and a new way of being of what tech is for me. But definitely in my family, it was always around. It was always around me. So now I'm more present in it. And it's kind of amazing to look back and see it now. 
Yeah. And if I could add to that, even there's like early on child, but even as we think about career experiences, because I was always the young person in the nonprofit space and the young person in labor, people just expected me to know about tech. So I had to learn a lot of stuff fast because I'm like, all right, I guess I'm like over the database now. We're going to figure out how you do this. You're going to figure out how, how are we using digital? How are we combining different things? And the merger of Tech is tools in terms of how we make life easier. How do we like make a simpler process? You get into that. And I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the experience because it makes jumping into tech full time go, you know what? I know a little bit about some things and I can learn more. We want you to describe what Evenscore is, but I want to start with the skill sets that you were both building before you got into it. So maybe talk about the origin mm-hmm. of Evenscore and then talk about <clears throat> why you two were the right people to go into this particular vein of technology and politics? That's a really, really good question. Because our whole lives, I think Johnny and I, our career, our family, everything has really been kind of lining up to come to this point in time. Johnny and I both grew up with family members who were not only entrepreneurs, but had the skill set to run businesses, manage multiple things at once. And as I was growing up, I worked in my family office every day. So I was from middle school till I graduated high school, answering the phones, learning to deal with customer facing positions, learning to operate and help multiple people at a time. I've always kind of been surrounded in that world. I know Johnny has too, his from his grandfather to his mother. We've always kind of been immersed in community our whole lives. I was involved in my church at a younger age. So I've always been around community in a different way. And it's always looked pretty different for me. And it's really interesting to look back and see how all my experiences professionally and personally has really led us to this moment. What was that business? Oh, yeah. So my parents have owned professional realty team for over 30 years at this point. It's a really funny story. Um, When I was born, my parents took me to the real estate office before they took me home (laughs) from home from the hospital. So this is really in my blood. It is all running all the way through me. My parents have been go-getters and diligent workers for so long, and they have really instilled in all of my siblings that the importance of hard work, and we've been able to see firsthand and really witness when you work hard at something and you make sacrifices early on, how you can build and scale and really make a major difference. And my parents were the really the one of the top Black-owned real estate companies here in Michigan for quite some time. And so I'm really proud of that. That's what's up. Johnny, same question. If you're going to walk us through the origin of Evenscore, talk to us about that. And talk to us about your organizing background, because it started early. Yeah, yeah. So to go way, way back, my grandfather was a community organizer and a bit of an entrepreneur, always pulling people together, but very creative. I mean, he sold fish sandwiches, incense. He pulled people together. He was an insurance man. He did a lot of things, and he always did it his way. Grandfather was very much stuck on like, this is how he's going to move forward. And he pretty much instilled that in me, because you get that same stubborn head. But Even then, so I've grown up around it from him. We fast forward, I'm 12 years old. My mom is working at a nonprofit organization called MOSES, which is Metropolitan Organizing Strategy Enabling Strength. And she basically hands me over to the community organizers to help them with voter registration, telling them, I've got Saturday mornings free. So I get involved doing voter registration. Then it's 2008, I'm doing door knocking, leading canvases with other young people on the C3 side, so nonpartisan, but like... The communities we're knocking in are definitely loving, like, hey, you helped get Obama elected. So you get that bug young. You see what's possible when people come together. 
Fast forward again, it's 2012. I'm an intern now at this organization, and now I'm leading my own Get Out the Vote. And I've had to figure out how to organize rides to the polls, raise money, write a plan, submit these things. And I'm at the whole time like, I don't think people understand I am 18. I just, just left high school. At one point, there was a moment where trying to recruit voters, I was recruit, I was invited to teach to a class of juniors. It was like, there are kids who are my age in this class. I don't think anyone understands. I'm not... Not an old man. But you get those experiences and you have to learn, you have to be creative, you have to think on the spot, but you also have to get help. Like I got a mentor to walk me through how do we build the skills and now I've got the bug. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit so I go on, but now it's 2020. I've gone from community organizing, some political organizing. I've been in labor, I'm running union campaigns. I'm also over our political action committee, which is the dollars members give to give to political campaigns. And it's the pandemic. And for the first time, most most of my job is a little bit more remote. I'm a contract negotiator, I handle politics, so I'm having to do a lot more on the phone. But because of that, I'm actually watching more of the news than ever before. I'm watching the world, and then George Floyd is murdered. And I see a spike in donations, and I'm kind of in a situation where I'm having to be responsible for Alexa and her family and not go out and hit the streets like I'd love to. But I'm also like, well, then what am I supposed to do? What's my revolution? Like, what can I do? And so people are calling me, asking me how they get involved. So I'm going to start just directing people to different spaces. But that wasn't enough because, you know, 2020 happens, the election, Biden wins, and I'm looking at the numbers and I'm like, we had huge voter turnout, but when you really get down to like what's happening on the ground and the long-term plan for change, we're not feeling it like we should. So looking at the numbers, me and some friends say, you know what, let's stop saying somebody should and why don't we do something? And so we start the process of brainstorming. Let's start a company. Love that. But I also want to acknowledge that not everybody knows what political organizing is. In fact, many people were probably introduced to the idea or the term when they dug into President Obama's background. We talked about that a bit earlier at uh, at breakfast. But talk to us about what is community organizing. And you mentioned at breakfast as well that people taught you how to like walk the beat or you know kind of vectorize the area. What what does it mean to organize? And is it more than registering people to vote? What are you doing when you're having these conversations? And what impact does it actually have on the political landscape? Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm going to do this and I'm going to try not to like science it up a little bit. But in organizing, you are organizing to build power. And in community organizing and like the teachings that we look at, power means in its simplest form, the ability to act. You're bringing people together to take action on something. So like at the end of the day, anybody who's like, there are, there's volunteering, there's mobilizing, but like when you're organizing, you're bringing a, a group of people together who care about something and they want to take action on it. So the organization I worked for, Moses, was a part of the Gamaliel Network, which is the organization Obama worked for when he was a community organizer. So they take organizing like very serious. <laughs> it was a very serious discipline. You had to have mentor contracts. You We met three times a year and I'm like, it instilled a different discipline on how we do organizing, what we value as organizing, but they instilled in you, like, if you're an organizing, you're taking responsibility for a community, and, like, you have to work hard, you have to keep going. And let you know, I'm like, you're going to learn along the way. It's not going to be perfect, but you have to keep growing and keep learning. So, like, I'm 18, I get this training, and I'm like, there's a different mindset of always trying to figure out how are we moving people to take the most action, how are we making the biggest impact, and along my career, I've done organizing on the neighborhood level, then I've done organizing on the statewide level. Then you get into multiple state coalitions, and every time along the journey as an organizer, you're like, but what action do I want to take? If I want to have that bigger impact, how else can I do it? 
And EvenScore gave me the ability to look at how do I take what I've been doing on the community and for organizations and take it with tech because tech lets you scale. Tech lets you increase that impact. And I saw a problem happening with the donations. I see a lot of communities, a lot of the most vulnerable communities um, suffering the most. And I'm like, why aren't we thinking of more tech for good solutions? And once I was exposed to tech and got my little like, now I get it. It's like, all right, let's merge this and marry this and really start to leverage this. So what is it? What is EvenScore? In your own words, what is it? What is it useful for? Who are the customers? You know, How do I find you? How do I use it? All of those questions. EvenScore is a small dollar donation platform to maximize the impact of every donation dollar. We help our users turn data into stories so that way they can focus the fights that they care about the most with supporters from their community and other people, both educating them on the issues, but pulling them along, whether it's following a donation, taking action, or just sharing the story. What we learned from 2020 is we had a global audience. People were sitting at homes in their living rooms and they were watching the movement so they can get involved a little bit more. But once everything starts, I'm like, there's so much noise, we can't even see that. And the things that you care about the most that could be moving forward, we're distracted. So we help people focus a little bit more through donations, through taking actions, through signing petitions, but really like bringing everything you donate to into a single place. So we marry community organizing, some fintech with a TikTok-y Robinhood feel, where lots of video content going back and forth between the donors and the organization. So that way a donor knows what's happening with their money. So I got a question for you, Alexa. How do you turn data into stories? You know, I care about things. You mm -hmm. know, uh, everybody's unique. How does my data on the platform turn into a story? And, and what does that mean to turn data into a story? That's a really good question. I, I guess I have an example. Let's say I'm a person on our platform and I really care about food insecurity with children. And I want to make sure that children have food after school. How do I turn my information to, hey, I want to do something about this into a story that can build a larger impact? And how can I make my money have the most impact in this area as well? So with the data that you have, let's say right here in the city of Detroit, you can look at information for different nonprofits, organizations, and campaigns that really focus on that issue. And now from our platform, let's say I want to give $100 to this cause. Once you've done it on an even score, your front-facing camera will turn on in the app and we give you the opportunity to create a video to, to share a little bit with your friends and family about not only why is this issue important to me, but why you should take a look at it too and consider donating to this cause. So now I say, hey, friends and family, I really care about making sure children have the food that they need to be successful because when you're hungry, you're not going to get much done. And I can turn that on, share with my friends and family a quick five to 10 second video of why this, import, why this is important to me and send it out to my family and friends. And now you've initiated storytelling and you can tell multiple people in a short amount of time, not only why this is important to you, but how uh, any amount donation can make the biggest impact in your community. And you can do that all in one place. And that's really what's unique about EvenScore. I love that. And this question is for both of you to, to, to tag team it since you are working together and living together. Um, so what insights are you seeing from that? Like, what is the impact of that? Because I think it's an awesome idea to say, hey, I've donated to this cause. I'm going to do more than just, you know, give my money kind of in a clandestine way. Like, I want to share this story. But are you seeing that actually turn into traction? And if so, talk about that traction. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think a couple ways. One, we're seeing it turn into traction for some of the groups that we've piloted with where 
the donors become the center focus of it. Because if I'm donating to a cause, there's a personal impact to me. And so we help that nonprofit tell their story a little bit better and focus the attention onto what they're doing. Because so often the hardest thing about nonprofits is when they get you to donate, it is so hard to get you to donate again. Because you give and then like you get disconnected. Rather the email's not good enough for you or you get busy. You're not if you're not living that fight every day, it's not as connected. So they need something to keep you in. But they also need something else to tell you to do, and you don't have an endless amount of money. So as a donor, you don't want every interaction to be, all right, give me some money, give me some money, give me some money. Now this nonprofit is letting you know, look, Abraham, we love that you donated for us. We want you to tell people why you donated. It doesn't even have to be a big donation, just letting people know what you care about in them because it helps people. Like Our stories are so powerful. When I hear your story, it's going to help me direct my attention, right? When it resonates with me. And I'm like, you resonate with a different audience than this nonprofit and this candidate. And them hearing it from you opens up ears. So that's the first thing. But even like the fun thing is we're our own personal use case, right? We have seen an actual boost in our traction from our users, our supporters, telling stories about EvenScore, sharing it out. Where I'm like, as we've been building and we're like sprinting towards, I think we're another six to eight weeks until like the MVP is ready to like release to that public facing portion. Um, we see the boost in our portion of every time somebody tells a story or connects us. And I'm like, it gives us that energy of showing what it looks like, but also this is the impact we can have when it's not just us telling our story. It's so many other people. And, you know, we're excited. We kicked off the video campaign of people recording, like, if they're excited for even score, just different things. And then you get flooded with 30 videos and you're like, oh, all right, like, we're, this is fun and it keeps going. Long term, we see EvenScore being able to add value to foundations and nonprofits, more specifically in how we tell the story and how we're moving collective impact, right, to campaigns and candidates who don't always get the traditional support, but have a great following. Back in 08, one thing that was magical about how Obama ran was he was able to empower the $5 donor with $5 in your support is all we need. Right. And we've lost some of that magic because everything we did during 2020 to fix social media so Trump couldn't do everything he was stirring up also silenced a lot of politicians, silenced a lot of community organizations where people doing work for good have to fight harder to get through. Right? The analytics don't favor it. So we need an ability to make sure those stories surface so the work is moving because when people are connected, we see a lot of miscommunication. So for EvenScore, we see ourselves growing beyond Michigan, beyond Midwest, and actually we're in conversation with some national partners on how are we looking at focusing dollars on movements as a whole, and even as EvenScore shaping, like what are those collective issue pillars that we are trying to move the needle for? So how can we make sure that every dollar going into racial justice is moving towards a longer term vision so we can better serve people curated portfolios of what to donate to? how to donate, and like how to take action. Whether you are a donor, a storyteller, a pledge signer, we want to continue to always patch it up and make it easier so that way the movement keeps moving. Okay. Alexa, Johnny, be straight up with you. They say I'm too easy sometimes with these questions, okay? And I know that there are folks out there who are thinking about this and they're like, you know, we see a lot of people moving in the space, especially in recent years, who have pushed themselves into politics. We've also seen that interest wane a little bit. So what is the future like for EvenScore in this environment? Because you've seen, you know, the rise, the apogee, and now we're starting to enter a new phase. So what does this new phase of politics, what can it do with an EvenScore? Yeah, and I think for us, as we think of the new phase of politics and where EvenScore is going, 
people care more about impact and solving problems versus the partisanship of the parties, right? We're trying to see what can we do to make it, to move the needle. That's why the ballot initiatives drove so much turnout in 2022. That's why Gen Z gets vocal because they care about what are you doing to actually fix something. And we want Evenscore to be the platform for the people who actually want to see change happen. We don't want to talk about it. We want to get active. And so we're giving you everything you need to get active with the support of tech, right? But merging that organizing blend because at the end of the day, whether we have the tech or don't have the tech, it's about the relationship. So we want to make sure that it's easy for you to build that relationship and build that community so you can move collectively forward. And we know that community is bigger than your city, your zip code, your state. Community is all over. And it's even score. Like our journey is so parallel with what we're building because we've had the opportunity to see what it's like when you have community all over. As we took our travels through the end of last year is Look, this week we're just getting back from South by Southwest and we still feel the value of having that community everywhere pushing you in different conversations in different states. So how was South by Southwest? Talk to us about for the people who didn't go and they're like, what is that? Or they do know and they're like, how do I use this for my startup? What would you say to them? So like particularly, how do you use it for a startup? You have to make a plan. Right. We had a couple of blessings sure. at the end of last year where we were able to go to Afrotech. We were able to go to Miami, Art Basel and Miami Tech Week. Um, they did like combined in Florida. But we had guides. We had people who were able to show us around and like um, make sure we were maximizing the time and even doing the intros to the relationship building. So we went to South by with that same experience. But this year we were actually sponsored to go down there by Venture 313. So Venture 313 took it upon themselves to not only like pay for everything, get us down there, room, board, travel. It was an amazing opportunity, but they also curated like connecting you to other entrepreneurs going, connecting you to the Midwest people. Like here are the people going from Detroit, making sure we knew each other and like giving everybody a curated, here are some introductions that we think will help for you in the Midwest. Here are some people we can help you talk to. Here are some panels we think you should make. So that way, if you're a founder who was going a little bit confused, they helped you get there. Um, but as we approached it, we went with a plan. We had just learned from how we did it before. So we made a list of one-on-ones we had to follow up with people who we've been talking to on Zooms. They were like, all right, let's see if they're there and let's like focus on getting to those events. But we also built in them like, what do we need to learn about? So we went to a couple different things to say, well, let's just go sit and listen. Let's go meet people from that space. And then we built in time for fun, that like free creatively where you just look, you don't know what you don't know. And if you're only going for what you're looking for at South by, you will... You'll see that, but there's so much more. So, like, we took an opportunity to kind of get, just go on a free-range voyage. Yeah, I definitely agree. When you go to different conferences, especially conferences where they're having conversations about what you're doing and that's in your lane, you really have a unique opportunity to not only to do a few things. Number one, build relationships, but also to seek wisdom in the space that you're building. And I think Johnny and I have really leaned into both of those things. A lot of founders, when we're building, of course, you're worried about building capital and finding investors and this, that, and the other. But what we have really proven to be true is how are we building on the current relationships that we have to get to where we're trying to get to? We were very intentional about just spending time with different organizations and causes and campaigns and people who were really passionate in, in our lane and who are really passionate about what they're building and how we can work together. We spent a lot of time just focusing on that. Like when you go to different events and you're in a room full of people and everybody's talking and you see so many important people, we were really just intentional about having one-on-one conversations with people about what we're doing and just people who are passionate about that because it's so easy to get distracted in these big rooms where a lot of people are in there. When I talk to founders, I make sure that they 
remember when you're in these rooms and it's a lot going on just focus on a few people to talk to you'd be amazed how genuine connection and conversation can really get you to where you're trying to go and then with the seeking wisdom part i really do believe that wisdom is a key to unlocking a lot of different things we were really intentional about going to different panels and conversations of people who are further than we are who have more experience than we have and we we sat and listened and we took notes and we ask questions. I think that that part is really, really important because when you continue to do that, you're going to get further faster because you're not just moving so fast, but you're you're taking the moment to just sit and make sure that you're getting the wisdom you need to get to where you're trying to get to. I would add another value to going is, especially when you go into a couple of things, meeting with people at these spaces, even if you've kind of bumped into them before, the follow-up is so much stronger. We went and we had a really good intentional conversation with Village Capital where they were able to not only like get to know us a little bit better, but like set up a good customer introduction and say, actually, we got him. We're buying him lunch. You come over and talk to him. And I'm like, now we're setting up a demo for a national organization that it could have taken us how many weeks to go through an email chain and they made it happen there. We met an attorney down in Miami. His name is Randall Clark. He had a panel at the equity, at the Equality Lounge. And I'm like, going there, it took us out of wherever zones we were going to go. I'm like, I went to go catch up with him. Like, Let me watch his panel. We met so many people. <laughs> like, And I'm like, it's mostly women. So I'm like, it's awesome because I'm like, Alexa's getting more connected to other circles. I'm like, she's invited to this all-women's brunch now. And I'm like, we just showed up and we met people. But... When you plan it, you can maximize it because otherwise you can go to a South by and you can get lost and you'll come back feeling exhausted and not really knowing what you got out of it. So I'm like, to get something, you should write down, what are you looking for? And then every day I'm like, how are you answering that question? We always operate in that rule of three. I'm like, we got three things we got to do today. If we get those things done, then it's free to go enjoy because everything else is just like extra on top. That's so true. We really made the most of our time there and I'm glad we kind of took it in waves. I kind of like to think of all these conferences, especially South by Southwest, as like a wave pool. If you don't, if you go to, if you try to attend every single event and try to go to every party, it's going to really take you over. So we kind of stayed in the shallow end and we made sure that we hit all our points that we needed to hit and we came back better for it. It was definitely a great experience. So I want to stay here and talk specifically about social capital and how that translates into capitalizing your business on the financial side. Uh, we've had a previous episode where we sort of tried to put forth a framework where social capital is the three eyes. It's uh, introductions, which it sounds like you received at South by Southwest. It's invitations with people inviting you to come in. And it's also insights to help you speed up things and, and yes. get there faster because money comes from being able to speed up in time. So talk to us mm-hmm. about social capital and how that actually translated into financial capital for the skeptics out there. Yeah, look, your three eyes are perfect because those introductions, they turn into invitations and then you all of a sudden you're invited and the number of spaces we have been in, we, we are the only founder and there are angels, there are VCs, there are foundations. And you're like, well, you know what? It's really good that we followed up with um, this one person because they invited us or they said, we really thought about you and you should be there. And then you're here and now we're coming away with hard Zooms or, you know, as we're raising money, we're coming away with investors. We're coming away with follow-up conversations because we were there, because we asked questions and don't be afraid to hear what you might not want to hear. Not everybody's going to love what you're doing. So like a part of each one-on-one one, you can talk and it might not be a good fit. But when you talk to that person, if you really listen to what's going on with them, you're going to learn of a different opportunity that you can say, oh, I didn't know that. Or, 
you know what, let me call that person back and sit down and just learn a little bit more. I mean, I've met people who are teaching me things about blockchain that I didn't know, but we happen to be sitting next to each other on a judging panel. And I go, I really like how you were commenting on these startups. You know something I don't. Let me just, let's have a virtual coffee or something. Or while we're here, let's grab a drink. And that's the benefit of South by all those connections, all those wishlist people, you can get so much done. I think South by, we paced ourselves a little bit better than I usually do because I usually just run, run, run. I probably had about 10 one-on-ones a day. I'm like 10 deep conversations with people where we get to know a little bit. I know what they're doing. I know where they're going. And I should know enough to either connect them to someone else or walk away feeling like they know what I'm doing. So capitalism, it turns into other things. And for us, it's why even score has been moved up. We've learned about opportunities. We learned about things. And now we're seeking not only investment capital, but non-dilutive opportunities that weren't even available ahead of time that we're in the running for that we go, it's because a series of relationships. And when you look at that, you those relationships don't just become people you, oh, you use and ask for them, like you build together, right? Like you have to have this like selfless mindset of yeah. it's not just about me winning. It's how am I moving them up? I'm not hoarding my relationships. I'm not hoarding anything. The most fun I had at South by was a time where I was connecting other Detroit founders to investors and people at an event where I was like, oh, this is perfect. I know a lot of people here. Actually, you should meet him and you should meet her. And I'm like, these are founders who are raising, who are just getting started that I'm like, let me be the warm introduction to pitch your company. And when you get that mindset, it's helped us so much that you get into this like, Gail Perry Mason here in Detroit always says, I'm like, you have to send the elevator back down. It doesn't matter what floor you're on, but what are you doing to pull people up to where you're at? And I'm like, when you approach that mindset, other doors start unlocking where people are offering things like, oh, I'll get you this, I'll send that. And I'm like, all right, you can move a little bit differently because every problem you come up against, you're like, I got three people I can call for that. They just told me how they did it. You keep that organizing hat on all the time. <laughs> like, but that's that's it too. I'm like the organizer in me. So for a while, I struggled when we started Even Score how to merge organizing and tech. And I'm like, because so much was still remote. I was still in a box. I hadn't even wrapped my mind around what it was. And once I figured out, oh, I. Just, just keep being an organizer. Things start lining up a little bit easier. We built our team differently. I was like, look, I'm going to just be honest with what I'm good at and what I need help with. And I'm going to go find people that can do each of those things and spend some time getting to know them, making sure they understand where I want to go, where we need to go. And as we build that team, you get to a place where you're like, all right, we got all the pieces in place. We have the people who can pivot and move. So every problem is easier than we get a non-dilutive opportunity. And I've got a team and I'm like, we put together a plan. And the remark on the call was, no one's ever come with a plan at the beginning of the conversation. And I was like, I thought I was, I thought it was expected. <laughs> I told the team this was the expectation. And I'm like, well, I had a team that could do that, which gave us a place to build from. And I'm like, it's so important that you do that. I've just got this saying, and I'm like, that community wealth turns into the generational wealth. On your build, the more you do to build up the community and help people lift up, I'm like, that pays back tenfold. So keep doing that. And then we all start to see more success, specifically for black and underrepresented founders, because I'm like, we're new. We have a lack of access to networking capital. So as you start to disperse it out there, it doesn't do anything but elevate you more to share your relationships. It's not a competition. There's more than enough resources, and we should move like that because then more will open up. There are people who aren't even thinking about tech right now that need to hear more about what are the solutions coming up because they have problems that they're also trying to figure out how to solve. I want to ask this specifically because it comes up a lot people who are getting a lot of no's and they have perhaps the propensity or it's 
you know, not unusual for them to get a bit discouraged. You all didn't have nothing but yeses along the way. It wasn't, you know, smooth sailing the whole time. Alexa, what would you say to founders who are on their 113th no, who uh, don't really know kind of why people aren't buying into their, their mission? What would you say to them, knowing that some of it is, you know, shoring up your, your flanks, but also keeping on going? That's a really, really good question. When you get so many no's, it gets discouraging and it can be depressing to keep hearing that. I go back to this thing of kind of seeking wisdom and acting on it quickly. Johnny does a really good job of making sure we're connected to community. When you're building, and especially if you're a first-time founder, one of the most important aspects of how we've been able to build so quickly is our community. And we're really, we've been involved heavily here with the Michigan Founders Fund, and we have a community of founders who we can go to, who we can talk to about our no's, about our yeses, and about how we're able to scale. And as you go through this time of getting no's, I think it's so important to seek counsel about, number one, how you're pitching, and then how information is being received. So you can go and you can have like one-on-ones with different people who are further along than you are, and you should do that. You should be constantly learning and seeking information on how you can improve what you're building and how you can improve how you're telling your story. And when you do that and you're able, you're able to seek wisdom in that way and act on it quickly, you're going to, number one, be able to get new information you don't know. And then you're going to be able to also pivot and say, hey, I might be able to make these two or three changes and really change the trajectory of what I'm building, how I'm building it, and how people are receiving what I'm saying. And we've been able to do that and really been able to make some changes that have moved us further ahead so much faster. Do you have an example of that? Because I, I feel that, but it's tough sometimes to take feedback because we're, you know, it's natural to be resistant to that. Yeah. You know, criticism hurts sometimes, but the people who embrace it often are the ones who can move more quickly. So do you have any encouragement specifically on that tip on how you were able to manage that? That's a good question. I think of, when I think about it, I think of Robert, that's Robert. exactly what I was about to say. One of our mentors and advisors, um, Robert Brooks, he was really able to help us early on to see where we needed to focus more, to see where we needed to gain more wisdom, and help us do a better job of how we can present what we're saying so that not only people understand it, but how they can grasp it. I think I'll add to that is the one thing that I like failed to do, and I'm mad at myself because my organizers, I did not take a stronger personal inventory on all the relationships that I had to build. When we started building, we were just trying to move forward. So we were doing so much looking out, we didn't do a look in. And we did a deep dive look in and started talking to people we've met over the years from Alexa's early years, my early years, and learning. And in that, we find a family of investors, tech professionals, and other like family professionals who I'm like, we're once or twice removed from or we see. So inner Robert, he's an investor, lots of auto industry, lots of tech experience. We're at a family party and he's like, oh, I saw your article. We should talk more. Robert also gave the kind of feedback where he didn't just tear me down. He's like, I'm going to be honest with you. This is how I would evaluate these companies. But he didn't just like oftentimes when we hear no's as founders, we don't ever hear the why. So we don't even understand what's the no if it's not a good fit for them, if it's you. So you're just left with an email kind of like, I don't know how to take this. So you don't know what's wrong and you don't even know if they're understanding it. I'm like, give me the hard feedback or you're in these situations. And I would jump on calls. I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be pitching or if we're talking because the format is very confusing. 
So I'd be waiting for some type of direction. And I'm like, Robert helped me start to pace and prep for that. But also he was the first one to say, he's like, I'm looking at this and what you're doing is great. But based on what's right here, what I see, I don't see the long term and I only see the short term. So what's next? Like, what is like, what's that? And we went through a process of actually like working on our pitch, working on the plan and doing deeper diving. And then there's a day and I'm like, I'll admit, like Alexa, no, I was like, I was a little teary-eyed when Robert called and he's just like, you've been listening. All right, I'm ready. I'll be your lead investor. And you're just like, <laughs> I just, and you go, you know, still, because then like, I come from this, I'm like, you always keep working to improve. And then you hit this major benchmark and you're like, all right. This is exactly what we where we wanted to get, but also you then see the change because you feel it. You're like, I have told the story different. We are talking about things differently. And we're also building like those, what are those channel partnerships we need to be thinking like institutional? How do we get beyond a B2C or B2B, but how are we looking at like, who are those enterprise level partnerships? Who are those channel partnerships that help us really get to that scale conversation? And how are we like building a process that that can be replicated to move that way? Yeah. And Robert really helped us understand that. So take that personal inventory. There are uncles, cousins, family members. I reached out to my fifth grade math teacher just to have a chat and catch up. So when I say I'm like, I went to go learn. Alexa's parents, I walked through the history of them building their business and what they wish they had and made a list and said, okay, I'm going to go get this because that's what we need. That's, that's such an important point. You might not be able to get the meeting with the CEO of this company that you really, really want to talk to or the head of finance over here, but Johnny did a really good job um, since the beginning of Evenscore to make sure that we've been paying attention to who's around us and making sure that we're learning every step of the way. It's, it's so amazing to really think back on how we've been able to be humble enough to listen. Now, of course, you shouldn't be listening to everybody. Everybody everybody is not going to be in alignment with your vision and what you're doing. But when you really start to take inventory of those around you, especially when you're in the beginning steps and you're hearing no's, you might not have a lot of resources. We were able to really kind of quiet ourselves and just look around us. And in those moments, we were able to gain so much that we were able to build on. And I think that's a really important part to remember. Talk about where we are. Because we're in the lab podcast and we're in Detroit. We're downtown uh, in the heart and the thick of it. Talk to us about Detroit's startup ecosystem. Uh, it's clearly chosen you as one of like its brightest stars that it wants to continue to promote. And I think that's great. Talk to us about what's happening on the ground here in Detroit. Yeah. Um, I have to say, like, so we are in Bamboo, Detroit, and I got to give a shout out to Amanda Lawan is one of the founders and the owner operator here. She has been uh, one of the ecosystem builders for a while now. I think before Bamboo, she used to write about Michigan companies and she was pivotal. Right after I quit my job, like two weeks later, I quit my job. Like, All right, we're going to do this. But then you get into that. I got to learn. I remember I set up uh, a meeting with Amanda. It was their co-working day. She's busy entertaining everybody. She's like, okay, good. And we come up, actually up here to the sixth floor, and we sit down and we talk. And she listens to my story. She tells me her story. I'm like feeling, I'm believing myself a little bit more. And she's like, what are you worried about the most right now? And she said that, and then she made two introductions to Justin Anderson as Lydia and James Chapman from Plainsight. And and I'm like, connection started flowing. I was like, oh, wow. Like, they... Going and just getting that turned into it. So Lydia became an investor later on. So I'm like, that was a connection in a couple months. Then I'm like, all right, now we're here. And they've been in the saddle with me moving forward. 
And I'm like, there's something powerful about the Detroit ecosystem because everybody here in Detroit and even the greater Michigan, we're rooting for us to win. We just had two big exits with Doug Song from Duolingo and then DocX. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, their exits also mean that we have so much more wisdom in the space. And both of these entrepreneurs are trying to figure out how are they giving back? How are we pulling others up? And Doug Song has really helped be a leader in the space of... He sat down with us. Here are five introductions I can make. Here are people I can introduce you to. And then when you have, when you're building a company like ours, and you have Doug Song go, "Oh, my friend is the CFO of this major company," and I'm like, "That's right." And where we need to learn about, we can learn directly from those people. It's a different, like, easy button. Um, we have Venture Three One Three, which is a new foundation committed to giving Detroit entrepreneurs like capital, but figuring out. Um, James over there is really figuring out how do we like give them what they need. So his vision for South by is he's like, I want you entrepreneurs to be able to go down here, go stress free. And I want you to dream. He sat down with us and said, your job while you're here is to dream bigger. I want you to all come back thinking about how are we building hundred million dollar companies out of Detroit? And when you have someone who's saying like, I'm pulling all my relationships to give to you, I'm building relationships with Venture for America. I'm trying to figure out how we partner and get you early staff, get you the support. And then he has his use cases. Here are the startups that I'm already working with who are moving forward. And he's like, we thought like him and Don Batts telling us we went through all of you and thought about who we were bringing and how we were going to keep moving you forward. And I'm like, that is a different energy where you go, all right, like people are rooting for you to win. So it helps you build. And Detroit has been like thundering and doing that. I'm like, we're climbing up. We have, I think, four or five Google for startup companies based in Michigan that just recently won. And the only uh, Google for startups, the Latino fund winner, Sergio from Tululi, his office is here in this building, but he was impactful for me. He introduced me to Michigan Founders Fund. He coached me on my deck and my financials early on when I was like, an investor just asked for these and I wasn't actually sure what his expectation was like. How big am I imagining? How like I'm not sure. And he talked me through. Well, here's his expectations. Here's what he reads, and I'm like that helped change the conversation to get us to the place where we're like, all right, we're still a little bit of follow up. We're still a little bit of build the rapport. But if it came from him, he even made a cheat sheet of Michigan investors. He's like, here's my experience. Here's what I can say that can be helpful. And I'm like that helps you move forward. So we have that ecosystem that's like pouring into each other. And honestly, I think we were. We feel in the blessing of like winning the Michigan Tech Week and getting pushed up there. It's like, all right, what am I doing to also give back? Because there are a lot of founders who have helped pushed us up. And I'm like, how do I use everything that we're benefiting from to also do the same thing? And I think that mindset like has a very a specific ripple effect. That's so true. That's so true. When I think of Detroit and where we are in tech right now, there's definitely some upward mobility happening here in Detroit. When you think of the Midwest in general, of course, we're not the Silicon, we're not out West or we're not out East, but there's a unique thing happening here where we are scaling up in that mindset. Um, Michigan, we had our first Michigan Tech Week last year here in Michigan, and it was a big deal, and we got amazing turnout. And that's where we won the, the first pitch competition that they had here. And that was a major win for us. And that's when things really kind of took off. And I came on board and Johnny has so many big ideas and big uh, dreams. I was able to come on board and really help us to get organized because it was happening really, really quickly. Um, and the Michigan Tech Week was in partnership with the Founders Fund, Michigan Founders Fund. And so when, when that happened, we were able to not only gain attention here in Detroit, but that's really that what projected us into a national platform of 
where people, Johnny started getting speaking engagement inquiries and this, that, and the other. And we went to Afrotech and he's speaking there about what he's building and what he's doing. And we were able to build faster because of that. And that was just our, that was Michigan's first tech week here. And that was just last year. So building here has looked different. The Midwest is different in general in that sense when it comes to tech, but we've been able to really utilize everything around us here to to build. One more question for you both, because you've both spoken about how you've learned so much on your journey. And I think it's super cool that you all have been able to do it together and have each other's back along the way and take that learning, uh, socialize it among yourselves, improve it, and then go back out there even stronger. In what positive ways has your journey as, you know, teammates in all these different realms impacted your personal life and your family life? So, you know, you're growing as as business folks. How has that translated into personal growth in your relationship? Johnny has been a great leader from when I first met him. I've known Johnny now for probably going on 10 years. And being able to watch each other grow in building even score, we definitely are maturing way faster. I mean, we're in our first few years of marriage here, and I feel like I was telling you, Abraham, earlier, I feel like we've lived a lifetime in a very short amount of time. I think one of the main things that's really been a positive for us is we always stay connected. We're not only working together, but we're doing life together every day. So we've been able to build our lives as such. I mean, we're we're normal people. Of course, we're going to have our disagreements, but we've been able to build in a different way. We've been able to watch each other grow and watch each other lead in ways that we haven't before. And so I think that's been really important in our growth overall. And I'll add, I think both of us have gotten very intentional how we push each other to step up into different leadership spaces and to like really encouraging us to like, all right, speak your full truth. What does that look like? But where I also love is we've taken this mindset and said, okay, what are we doing to also like you're very involved with family? So we're working with Alexa's parents on some things they're doing as they lean into another venture. We're pulling um, my family involved, getting them, like we're getting everybody involved in this like, all right, if we can do this entrepreneur thing, also so can you, so how can we show you and replicate this? And it's helped us build a different community of friends where we've gotten not just like mentors, but finding other couples. Are there other husbands and wives that are building businesses and we get connected to them? So we're connected to Rachel and Gerard Allen at um, Centric Place because I'm like, they've been doing this for a bit. I actually remember watching their social media. They got married on social media. They got into real estate. They did business. Um, so we see that positive effect, but we also see we have to be very intentional on like our mental health, on how we talk to each other, on how we work on that and say, all right, when's the last time we talked with our therapist? Let's just have a neutral check-in to make sure nobody's holding anything back. So I'm like, you have to be very okay with being vulnerable, but like very comfortable with like um, the idea that if you're too comfortable, you should be getting a little bit more uncomfortable. Like you don't want to be comfortable for too long. So like always pushing ourselves. Okay. Yeah, that's so true. We, we all sure Johnny has helped me to remember to be really intentional with our time. It's kind of, it's uncomfortable, but it's necessary. Johnny has really helped me learn how to maximize my time better. And when you're in a relationship or in a part in a marriage or a partnership and you're building something, you can use each other's strengths when you're not maybe not the strongest. And so we've really been able to do that in building, and it's been it's, it's shown to be really successful that way. 
Lovely. So uh, as we bring this podcast into the station, uh, if folks have been listening to this and they're inspired by uh, EvenScore, they're inspired by both of your stories, uh, be it the company, be it your relationship, the combination of the two, how can they keep in touch with you? How can they follow your journey? What's the best way to do it? And how? What, what's your kind of uh, message to them to actually get involved with even, even score and the impact that they can have from just taking the time to follow up their donation with a solid message. Yeah, I'll start that by saying the first step is check out our website, evenscore.us or .us, whichever is easier uh, <laughs> here. Um, I'm active on LinkedIn. I'm active on Facebook. I'm active on Instagram. We are working to like activate the EvenScore social media a little bit more. So over this next couple of weeks, you're going to see a sto- our storytelling campaign start rolling out and see the ser- support video start hitting Instagram and TikTok. Um, realistically, if you are really excited for EvenScore, I would tell you go ahead and sign up for the waitlist. It's on the website. Um, get the contact information because. As we lead towards this thunderous excitement, the be- the most powerful thing that we have as EvenScore is the supporters, right? I would love for you to just follow along from the journey and share me- share with me what you're learning, share with me what you're thinking, because EvenScore is bigger than Alexa and I moving towards building this company. It's how are we building something that's supposed to benefit the community and benefit the greater good. Uh, I'm a community organizer. I'll always be a community organizer. Um, and I believe if we do this right, we bring enough people to start like elevating the stories of the people that need to be most heard. So we can, I don't know, make more noise than all the noise we hear. How do we get bigger than the distractions? That's, that's such an important point. What I tell people when I tell people about EvenScore, the most important part about EvenScore is our supporters in our community. Because what we're building is about just that. We're building a platform where we say here, Take this microphone, tell people what you're most passionate about, tell people what you care about so that we can give people what they need. We can get our communities what they need and the resources that they need so we can just be better overall. Awesome. So with that, we will leave you with the last word before we close this out. Any parting words you have for folks who are listening to this right now? Look, I wouldn't be if I wouldn't say if I wouldn't be me if I didn't say it. Um, together, we can focus the fight and even the score. I just want to encourage everybody, especially first time founders. If you all have any questions, um, founders reach out to us all the time. Reach out to us on LinkedIn. Reach out to us on IG. We do respond and we just want to be as helpful as we can to our community. Love that. And thank you for your time and for sharing the entirety of your journey. And until next time, we bid you adieu. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Diverse Tech Founders Podcast. I'm Abraham J. Williamson, and we had yet another great guest to pop in. And if you enjoyed today's podcast recording, please give us a rating. You can do it right now on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, and we'll see you next week.